amen. Amen. You may be seated. We want to say happy Father's Day again. Reiterate that uh, to, to all the fathers that are here. And um, this year has been a, a different year for everyone. And um, Mother's Day it was celebrated in our homes. Father's Day, we do get to be here. Um, it's still a little bit different, a little bit different. I want to preach today under this title, The Legacy of a Man, The Legacy of a Man. And while uh, it's titled for Fathers and for Father's Day, uh, this will help everyone because it's not just aimed at fathers, uh, it's aimed at everyone. We're going to go to the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, I'll be predominantly preaching from 1 Samuel and uh, portions of 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel and, first, and 2 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16, that's where we're going to go. And uh, we're going to read verse 7 together. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Again, the Lord looks at the heart. And I want to preach today the legacy of a man. And we're going to talk about heart things. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about heart things. Uh, this scripture is often quoted by some who would want to justify just allowing anything uh, in their outward appearance. To go along with fashion of what society and the world is promoting. Uh, but this statement made by the Lord to Samuel was not given with that in mind. It was not given with as long as the heart is okay, then everything else is just, you know, however it may go. Uh, that's not what the Lord had in mind. The only amount of Christ that anyone will ever see in us is going to be revealed in our outward appearance. And so it's why I do teach the principles of modesty and holiness before the Lord. The church should not look like or act like the world. Uh, we should look like and act like we have been brought out of the world. So some things in our life as we get closer to the Lord should change. It should change. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for cleansing the outside of the cup, but leaving the inside full of extortion and excess. Matthew 23, 25. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, First, cleanse that which is within, and that the outside could be clean also. Because outside cleaning is, is easy, but to get the inside of the cup, you have to get your hand down in there with a rag and clean it out. So, but here's an important principle. The outward reveals the inward. Now, how many of us hold up a cup and look, and we check the outside first to see if it's clean? I do this at my home. It's a habit because I just, I have to have a clean cup. I look at the outside. And then I'll turn it and I'll look at the inside. And if it's clean, uh, I'll use it. And if it's clear, I'll, it's, it's always clean, but I still have to do it. It's just the thing I do. 
But if it's clear, you know, if it's glass and I can see through the cup, I look to see, well, is there anything I may have missed? I'm holding it up to light to see what's there. So we're at a disadvantage. We can only judge according to appearances. But the Lord, He can see the outside, but He can also see the inside. He sees what is inside the heart. And He looks at the heart when He weighs a person. And so the question I want to pose to you today is this. Do we really want God? who alone knows the heart, to look on ours. What would he find there in our heart? What would he see when he looks at our heart? And a lot of times we fall and let fall by the wayside, the cleansing of our heart, and we let things go and we push them off for another day. But I want to challenge you today that you should look at your heart. And so we're going to look at our heart. We're going to look at the things that are in our heart, and we're going to take a moment today for repentance. We could say that what is in the heart is as of much importance as that which is outside. Now, we spend a lot of our time in pursuit of satisfying our desires that have more to do with external things. We're pursuing possessions. Believe me, I see nothing wrong with owning something. But a lot of our time is spent in pursuit of possessions. We spend a lot of time on our appearance and spending time making sure we appear to look nice and attractive and and maybe even uh, making sure we have the money to pay for the clothing that is in style in the moment of the day. We spend a lot of time on success, trying to make sure that our careers, that our jobs, that our lives are seen as a success. We spend a lot of time on the impression that we leave with others. Never mind that while at home there may be chaos and disharmony, we're focused on the impression we we would leave with others. So what is inside the heart And here's the important thing to understand. What is inside the heart eventually makes its way to the outside. It eventually makes its way to the outside. I understand this personally from a lot of experience because there was a day in my life where I was full of anger. And I could not always control when that anger would come out. And as I've went through life on and on, I've improved. There are less and less times where that anger that is inside that I had yet to deal with has come to the surface. I'm more and more often, I'm dealing with that anger, trying to make sure that what's inside is as clean as the appearance on the outside. And so in the scripture we read, Samuel has been dispatched to the home of Jesse. God has sent him with a mission. And he's there to anoint the king of Israel that would follow Saul. And as Samuel surveys with his eyes the men who stand before him, he looks upon one of those men named Eliab, and he says this in 1 Samuel 16 and 6. He says, So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Surely this man right here, he's anointed. He looks like king material. He looks like the one that I would be coming here to find. I don't need to look at anyone else because he has that kingly appearance. The Lord says, Samuel, 
You're looking at the physical stature. You're looking at his appearance. But I've already refused him. I see something you cannot see. I see what a man cannot see. I see into his heart and I see something there that is not acceptable. There's something there within the heart of Eliab that I cannot accept. And we're not sure what it was in Eliab that made him unacceptable to the Lord. But we do know that the Lord had already chosen one king for Israel based on what would be the appearance of a king and would be appealing to the people that king would lead. His name was Saul. And Saul was chosen as king because of his outward appearance. If you go and read 1 Samuel chapter 9, everything that references him talks about how he appears, what he looks like, who he is. He was a man who would be easy to follow because he stood out in the crowd. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9 says, There was a man, Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zerar, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice, a handsome son whose name was Saul. He was a choice. He, he, he kind of had some of those same qualities as Eliab. Whenever you looked at him, you thought, surely this is the guy. He was handsome. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Listen, Israel's desire for a king had to do with their desire to look like every other nation around them. Until that point, they'd had no king. They'd only had prophets and they'd only had God judging them. But when they looked around at all the other nations, they said, Give us a king. We want a king. Everyone else has a king. We need a king. And so God gave them a king, and he gave them one based on what were desirable qualities for men in a king. So Saul was handsome. Saul was more handsome than other men in Israel, which is the direct opposite of David. David was described as being ruddy. He was described as not being that handsome. Saul was tall. He was taller than any of the people. He was head and shoulders above them. Outwardly, Saul did everything right. He looked right. He appeared right. He had that kingly uh, kind of appearance to him. He did all of the right actions. He destroyed the wizards who operated in Israel. He destroyed the idols and the idol worship that had become very common in Israel. But when the Lord looked at Saul's heart, he saw rebellion. Because everything can be right on the outside. But the heart still have issues. The rebellion in Saul's heart would eventually come out. And that's the thing about sin and the heart, about rebellion, about anything that dwells in the heart. It can be there for a very long time. But eventually, it will come out. Because God told Saul to destroy the Amalekites, 1 Samuel 15, 2 and 3. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. Everything that they have, destroy it. But kill both man and woman, 
infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. He said, every one of them, I want everything destroyed. Seems very, very harsh. But that's what the Lord instructed. The Lord wanted Saul to remove from the land every piece and every memory of the Amalekites. And Saul did just that. He destroyed them all. But when it came to the king, it was more of an honor to have the king sit in his kingdom and say, yeah, I destroyed everything and I kept the one, the one thing because keeping the king brings glory to Saul. And so he let King Agag live. He spared him. And when it came to the best of the animals... Saul was unwilling to force the people to destroy them. 1 Samuel 15 and 9, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So they were willing to destroy all of the things as long as it didn't look attractive to them. But as soon as it became a really nice lamb, as soon as it was something that was a really nice oxen, was a nice uh, fold of sheep, then that, that was, you know, surely that's going to be okay to let live. I mean, after all, we don't fully quite understand why God would say to destroy them all. That's what God had commanded them to do. See, life offers some things that they don't look like they could be a threat to us. There's no threat in those sheep. There's no threat in those lambs. There's no threat in the good animals. There's really no threat in a king who has no people to follow him. It looks benign. We say, well, is that, is that really important that I, that I destroy that? Is it really important that I remove that from my life? It may not even be a sin. It may just be a weight on your life. And the Spirit of God is saying to you, you should get that out of your heart. You should get that out of your life. You should remove that thing. But we press back against God and say, well, it's not really that bad. It looks good. It looks like a good opportunity, maybe even the best opportunity. And we fail because we won't fully obey God in His voice and His direction. We become unwilling to destroy the things that God has directed us to destroy. But God, that's not sin. But God, that's not... No, it, it becomes sin when we disobey God. So it may not have been a sin a while ago, but when God directs you to remove it from your life and you say, God, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not going to hurt me. It becomes sin. Because when we reject the word of the Lord, it's going to cost us. 1 Samuel 15, 23 tells us the cost of Saul's disobedience, for rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as, 
as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. And in that moment, God removed from Saul the anointing that he had given him to be king of Israel. And it passed from Saul to David. And David would go and become anointed the very next chapter. So Samuel, so Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, verse 28, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Now, this has always bothered me. What made David better than Saul? Because we know David sinned. We know David failed. But David was willing to have true repentance. Saul lost everything. He lost his kingdom. He lost his anointing. He lost the thing that he was commanded to destroy. He was commanded to destroy. The thing that he was commanded to destroy took his life. We see that in 2 Samuel verse, chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. Young man comes to David after Saul's been killed, and he tells him in verse 8, he says, Who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. I'm the one who is supposed to be destroyed. I'm the one that if my mother and my father had been destroyed, I wouldn't be standing here today. See, if Saul had destroyed all of the Amalekites, this man could not have been there in that moment to kill Saul. Because Saul was unwilling to obey. Saul's family was destroyed. Now, you know, Saul, whenever he didn't obey God and he let some Amalekites live, he wasn't thinking, this is going to destroy my family's legacy. He wasn't thinking that this is going to remove from me my position. Even when God said, I'm done with you, he thought, no, I, well, I'm still king, and it, maybe it's okay. Maybe it'll work out. And that's the way it is sometimes. We, we make decisions and we choose places in our life that we're going to allow some things to stand. Thinking, well, so far it's been okay. But eventually... It catches up. Saul's position was taken from him. Saul's life was taken from him. Saul's anointing was gone. And David said this in verse 21. He said, it's as if he'd never been anointed. 2 Samuel 1, 21. I'll be re reading from the King James Version. He's writing a song for Jonathan and Saul. He says, you mountains of Geboah, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away, the shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. So it wasn't just that Saul lost his position. It wasn't just that Saul's family legacy was going to be destroyed. It wasn't just that he would lose his life but it would be just like he'd never even been anointed. 
as though he'd not been anointed with oil. David said it right in his mourning of them. He said, Saul was mighty. And, and it's true, Saul was a man familiar with battle. He was a warrior. And he led Israel in a, in a time where they needed some victories. But in the end, every victory in Saul's life was overshadowed by one thing, that he disobeyed God. That he was not willing to kill what needed to be killed because God told him to destroy it. Now the shield, the shield is a defensive weapon. It was used to deflect arrows and it was used to deflect the blows of a sword. To push advancing troops off of their feet and cause them to lose their balance. And in Scripture, the image of a shield is often used to represent the defense of God's people. The Lord is our help and shield. That's what Psalm 33, 20 says. Ephesians 6 and 16 says that our faith is a shield. But during times of peace, the shield would be set aside, but it would be taken care of daily. Same with the sword. The sword was never allowed to dull. It had to be sharp and ready for war. Part of taking care of the shield, you think, well, I mean, it's just a shield, right? You just, you have it sitting somewhere and somebody says, oh, they're here, they're attacking us. Well, let me get my shield. And that's it. It's ready to go, right? It's actually not true. Part of maintaining the shield was applying oil to the shield. They would oil it. And that oil, in anointing the shield, would cause the arrows to slide off. It would cause the the sword that was being swung in their direction to bounce off. It would cause that whenever an enemy was in front of them and they pushed, that that enemy would grab that they could not get traction and grip the shield and take it from them. The oil and the anointing were important to the shield. They helped in the defense of the person. Isaiah 21 and 5 says this, Prepare the table, set a watchman in the tower, eat and drink. Arise, you princes, anoint the shield. Anoint your defense. This is Saul's legacy. Because he didn't set up and do what God asked in destroying what was in the land, the Amalekite. That he allowed an enemy to be present in the land he was to lead. It was as if he never anointed the defense of his people. And I'm talking to people today that your defense is in protecting your family, protecting your home, protecting your faith. And if you're going to do that, you have to maintain the shield. And part of maintaining the shield of your faith is being willing to destroy the enemies that are inside. Because Saul's greatest problem were not the enemies that he faced that were out there but it was the enemy that was behind the shield. 
because he was not willing to destroy what was behind him. And for you and I, what that represents today is being willing to destroy the things in our own lives and in our own heart that would tear us down and would tear our families down. The challenges were not in front of him. It was allowed to be and live behind the line of his defense. Because once he took the enemy, he said, all right, King Agag, some of you others, your animals, why don't you just come over into Israel? Why don't you just be part of this kingdom? Saul had been anointed But the thing he was willing to let live that God told him he should destroy eventually killed him. Not only did it kill him, but it made it as though he had never been anointed. You see, what God asked us to remove from our lives that we allow to live on could become the thing that eventually destroys our legacy, as if we'd never been anointed, as if we'd never repented, as if we'd never been baptized in Jesus' name, as if we'd never been filled with the Holy Ghost, as if God had never done any miracles in our life, as if none of those victories in life ever mattered because the shield was cast vilely away as though we'd never been anointed. Because we wouldn't kill and destroy in our heart what God has been asking us to destroy. So what in your heart has God been dealing with you about that you need to destroy that you're not aware one day will rob you of your anointing? What sin is being allowed to persist that will destroy your family from within? What issue of the heart will take the anointing from you? James 1, 14 and 15 said, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Notice Notice the progression. Sin does not start out full grown. It starts with a small desire that is conceived and when it grows, it becomes sin. And sin, as it grows and becomes out of control, it consumes and it kills and brings forth death. And the only answer for any of those things is to put some things to death. And that's called repentance. Because repentance puts to death the things in our heart and the life uh, that God is trying to work against, the things in our life that, God, that are trying to work against God. Excuse me. Repentance puts those things to death. It kills those things. It's one of the reasons Paul said, I die daily. He was saying, I look at my life. And I understand my life is always under threat, but when I wake up in the morning, I have determined already that I'm just living as a dead man. And all of my desires, my wants, my cares, they're all dead because I die daily. 
Hebrews 12 verse 1 encourages us, says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I'm talking to you today that God wants some things in us to die. He wants us to put some things to death. And if we do not destroy the works of the flesh and we don't destroy sin in our heart, the question becomes, what legacy will we leave behind? Will it be a shield cast aside as if we were never even anointed? What's going to be my legacy? I don't want it to be said of me like it was said of Saul. But the faith I lived my life with, that in the end, the shield is discarded. It's as if I was never even anointed. It's as if I was never even anointed. Because the things I let live destroyed the anointing, destroyed the defense I made for my family's sake, destroyed the faith I had built up in my own life because I wasn't willing to listen to the voice of God when he said, yeah, those benign things, those things that don't look like they're going to matter that much. I want you to kill all of that. I want you to destroy it all. I don't want any peace left. But God, you know, I mean, they're defeated now. I've gotten victory over them. I mean, they're the king. He's going to be sitting in my, in my, my dungeon. You know, he's going to be sitting in my prison. I'll bring him out whenever we have a party and everyone can look and say, look, Saul defeated the enemy. God, those, those lambs and those sheep and those, those, all of those things, they're just going to get used. We'll make them into a sacrifice. That's what, the people, that's what the people had intended. They were taking all of those things and they were going to give a sacrifice to God. And that's where that famous scripture is quoted. It's more... God delights more in, in, in obedience than in sacrifice. If I see an issue that plagues this generation, I believe the issue is that some things that we think are not that big a deal, God leads us to destroy them in our lives. We say, but God, it's not really made sin. It's not named in the Bible. It doesn't look like it's that big a thing. And we let it live. While the God who knows the beginning from the end is saying, no, I see a problem coming. I want this removed. I want this taken out of your life. I want this influence gone. 
There's only one answer for that. It's repentance. It's repentance. Because repentance kills and destroys the work of the flesh and the sins that are in our life. And repentance is not just praying one time, God, forgive me. But repentance sometimes is getting up and every day killing the thing in your life that has to be killed. Heard an associate a while back was talking with someone who's dealing with some very difficult sins in their life. And I'd never heard it put this way, but the person told them, this is what you need to do. You need to go to God in prayer. And in going to God in prayer, you're going to have to go to some very, very dark places and reveal everything to God that's been covered up by years and years and years. What was he saying to him? He was saying, you're going to have to revisit the dark things, your history, that you've not wanted to discuss. Because way back there, somewhere in the dark place, there's something that's still living that needs to be destroyed you'll stand with me. Give us an opportunity to pray and seek the face of the Lord today. I believe there's some things that every one of us in our hearts, if we want to have a shield that mounts a strong defense, if we want to maintain our faith, there are some things that God is telling us we need to destroy We need to rid from our hearts and our lives. It's time to anoint again the shield by killing the things that are behind the shield in the heart. Let's seek the presence of the Lord for just a moment. God, you see every person that is here right now. God, you see the things in our life, Lord, that you don't want to be there, that you've asked us to remove, that you've led us to fight and battle against. God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would give us the boldness and fortitude, God, to remove the things in our life that need to be killed, to be destroyed. God, help us to kill the Amalekite in our life. Help us, Lord, to destroy all of the fruits of their existence. In the name of Jesus Christ, I give you glory and honor. Amen. 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 Why don't you take a moment right where you're at as she begins to sing and just pray to the Lord. Reveal some things in your heart to Him. Confess some things. Spend some time in repentance. Form, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to.